Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles. Of course, he is Greg. I am Nick, and this is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cattles, brought to you by FanDuel the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at FanDuel.com slash Boston. Claim your $200 bonus. Also, I want to thank our friends at Athletic Greens, your one-stop shopping for 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, adaptogens, nailed it, to help you start your day right to Athletic Greens. All right, Greg, uh, <laughs> before we before we get into the Patriots and, and the projections of them in the AFC East and all that good stuff, what the hell is happening in Boston? The Celtics, the Bruins, um, somewhat the Red Sox, even though I think they've been a, a pleasant surprise to a certain extent. But man, oh man, this uh, this has not been a good run the last couple of weeks. No, I mean, you know, look, it's it's unbelievable. I figured, you know, we need to talk about this. We need to, you know, grieve a little bit together. I mean, but I think, look, the the bottom line for me after watching some of the Celtics last night, and I'm not the biggest Celtics NBA guy, but, you know, I definitely try to tune in during the, the, the playoffs and for them to lay an egg like that last night at home. I mean, it was just, it was disheartening. Um, I have to think that they are going to bounce back in game six at Philly. I know it's going to be a zoo, but they're so much better. Here's the thing, Nick, and I don't know if you noticed this. And again, I, I don't watch from start to finish. And I ch- kind of check in here and there, but I thought, you know, was it was a game four where Jalen Brown came off um, Harden and Harden ended up hitting the the three to basically, yep. um, okay. So that play, to me, when I saw that play, it just said a lot about where the Celtics team was, and it went down to like I couldn't turn away from Jason Tatum's reaction. Like, you know, so so Brown comes in and helps Tatum on Embiid and, you know, which Jalen Brown admitted he shouldn't have done. Um, and, you know, look, sometimes you make aggressive mistakes. It didn't work out for him. It happens. But if you watch the replay, Tatum, like as soon as Harden hit the, hit the shot, he spun around and like looked at Jalen Brown. And... To me, you know, and I'm a big leadership guy, whether it becomes, you know, whether it comes to football or the sports that I coach with young kids, like, I just thought that was a poor display of leadership from from Jason Tatum. I mean, it wasn't glaring and it wasn't a huge deal, but basically, he basically pointed a finger at Jalen Brown. 
when Jalen knew he made a mistake. He's he's not some rookie. He understood he made a mistake. It cost the Celtics. He didn't need J- uh, Jason, you know, sort of a little bit shining a spotlight on that. And, you know, so to go from that to what they look like in game five, which to me, it looked they looked like a broken team. Now, I'm hoping it was just a really bad night, the worst night ever, and they bounce back. And and we know from this team, from this season, for the past couple seasons, like this team hates prosperity. And they are at their best when they're under duress, when they get themselves in a crappy position. They're in a crappy position right now. I expect them to bounce back. I expect there to be a game seven in Boston. But that's just sort of my overriding thought that I just like there's just something a little bit off with this team and it's just it, it's just disappointing. Honestly, there's so much to unpack and I, I could do five hours on this. I'm not going to try to do too much here, but uh, so many thoughts flooding through my head. I expected them to play much better last night coming off of game four. Um, because they didn't show up in the first half of game four in Philly. And then they had a race back. And look, there's no denying to me that if two, both of these teams played their best, the Celtics, the better team, and they win this series in at least, you know, six games, if not even five, if they play their very best. And there, there's something off. I, I like how you put it. There is something off about this team. There, there is always a lack of urgency. There's always a lack of intent. There's a lack of force, not always, but a lot of times. And that's the thing that drives you crazy is, as you said, Greg, we've seen this team with backs against the wall respond. They did it last year against Milwaukee. They did it last year against Miami. Um, They came back in game six and beat Atlanta after they lost the game, game five at Boston that they should have easily won. So we've seen them show that urgency, that effort, that intent, that force, all of those things. We've seen it, but we have not seen it consistently. And that, to me, is what really drives fans crazy. And that's why I think the Garden was quiet last night to start that game because they don't trust this team. You know, if there's one thing, I grew up in New England, man. I spent 30-plus years of my life in New England. And if there's one thing that I know about New England fans, they love a team that cares. They love a team that gives effort. They give. A, they love a team that that shows resiliency, right? They want a team that they feel if they lose a game like last night, that that team is going to have a restless night, that that team is going to have trouble sleeping. And the way that the Celtics carry themselves at times with this core of Brown and smart and Tatum, the way they carry themselves, it makes you feel like, Oh, well, Hey, we lost, but you know, we can come back on Thursday and play our best game. And uh, you know, we can make this thing work. That's what drives people crazy. The other thing is they don't shut up. I'm so tired of hearing them tell me that they get it and then don't show me that they get it night in and night out. I've I, I reading Marcus Smart's comments last night about, you know, some of the, about a dog and, you know, you got to have a fight and blah, blah, blah. All that BS Ma- Malcolm Brogdon coming out after shoot around, you know, saying that, Hey, we feel like we didn't play well. And, you know, we, we really didn't even like give enough effort and all that. Jason Tatum has said it several times about how they've learned from last year. And Jalen Brown has called out the team for a lack of urgency, all of the talk, 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 but yet they still show up game five at home last night and as close to a must win as, as you can have. And they lay an egg and they don't show up. They just don't show up. Tatum showed up in stretches and Tatum had a pretty decent game. He had a good second half, but that's also what drives people crazy. Another thing is look, Rob Williams, we, we talk about this team's depth. 
I look around and I wonder, you know, do they really have the depth we thought they had? Grant Williams has been just not dependable. He's he's on some days, he's off some days, he's awful some weeks, he's good some weeks. You don't know what you're getting from Grant Williams. Rob Williams is obviously not healthy. I don't think he'll ever be healthy again. He can only give them 15 to 20 minutes, and he's not a good matchup against Joel Embiid. Then you have the whole guard rotation, which seemingly Joe Mazzulla gets to him in a second, hasn't figured out. Who are you ending games with, Joe? You, you, you should know who you're ending a playoff game with. They're playing Malcolm Brogdon a ton at the end of games because of his offense, but he's terrible defensively. He's been awful on that end of the floor getting cooked by Harden and everybody else. So he's giving up as much as he's giving you offensively. So he hasn't been an answer. Derek White hasn't been very good in this series. And Joe Mazzulla is getting out coached. period, end of sentence. He's been bad. He's had a couple of moves here and there that give you some hope, but mostly he has been bad. His timeout usage, including the lack of a timeout in game four, when the team was showing no urgency, you get to 10 seconds and you just let the guys play. And you told me in the post game that you diagnosed it in real time, that you saw that you weren't playing with the right pace, but you still decided to keep your two timeouts in your back pocket. Hopefully you took your timeouts to dinner that night because I don't know what the hell else you're doing with them. So the, the lack of timeout usage, the rotations have been all over the place. It, it, it almost feels like he's picking names out of a hat at times. When you desperately need a spark, he has absolutely no feel for that. Look, I'm not telling you that Blake Griffin or Peyton Pritchard will turn the series around, but when your team is dead ass in the water and you've got two guys who do nothing but play hard and give the team energy and give the, the, the arena energy and you come out dead last night, and you don't play Blake Griffin for two to three minutes to try to play Embiid and get that crowd going and get the team kind of energized. You put Pritchard at the scoring table way too late. What were you waiting for? Again, these guys are not going to turn the series, but it's all those little things, Greg, as you know, that coaches can do. It's about pressing the right buttons. And Missoula is always late on pressing buttons if he even presses one at all. So outcoached, outplayed, inconsistent energy, effort, urgency, and intent, low basketball IQ for stretches. And I don't know what to expect tomorrow night. They could come out and win that game by 10 plus points. They can head to Cancun before the game even tips off. Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a roller coaster. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, when I watch this team, I think, you know, when when things are going well, I think this this team, and I don't know what the motivations are, but it seems like they devolve into sort of their own, yep. uh, you know, individual priorities. Like, you know, some, like Tatum's like, I got to be the star, I got to finish it off. And, you know, Jalen Brown takes, you know, like a backseat and, and, you know, Marcus Smart does Marcus Smart things. But I think that, you know, when when push comes to shove, when they're shoved into a corner, that's when those guys all buy in and they play team ball and they worry, they don't worry about their own agendas. And that's why I have hope for the last couple of games. And, you know, you mentioned it and, and this almost connects to the Bruins thing is that, you know, if you would have told me before the series that Joe Mazzulla would get out coached by doc rivers, like I would have told you, you were freaking insane, but that's what's happening. And you look at what Jim Montgomery did with the Bruins and about how like he couldn't push any of the right buttons and just started panicking and, you know, switching up lines and, you know, not not putting Swayman in earlier and then starting him cold in game seven. It's just like, you know, what the what the hell's going on here where, you know, what it's Montgomery and Missoula can only coach in the regular season when the pressure's off and when the, you know, the spotlight burns, all of a sudden they get they get choky and start 
you know, forcing things. And like, you know, that's what gives me a little bit hope to bring the Celtics into this. I mean, the Red Sox is that, you know, Cora has a steady hand with what the Red Sox are doing. He doesn't panic. Um, you know, I certainly have my issues with, with the Red Sox, including that, you know, I'm sorry, but there's a huge problem in the lineup when Jaron Duran, who's having a great comeback year, mind you, but he's the guy behind Raphael Devers. Like, the Red Sox can't have anything better behind Devers than Jaron Duran. I mean, you know, sorry to, to put this all in a blender, but all these sports, but this is just like, we're at that time of year where I'm panicking and I'm like, you you can't tell me the only thing we're going to have this summer is the freaking Red Sox. Like, no. Like, don't tell me this because, like, I did not foresee this. I, you know, I put a bet on FanDuel. They had some sort of boost at one point that said the Celtics or Bruins will win a world championship. And I put I put money on that. And, like, what, before even the conference finals, I'm going to be out on that bet? Like, this, this is not what I signed up for. It's not. Sorry. What's even more infuriating about the Celtics especially is that this is wide open for them, right? I mean, you're not afraid oh of Oh, my any- God. It's they, they, they are by far the most talent. I don't want to say by far, but they're the most talented team. They're the deepest team. They should be the champions if they play their best. If they played their best basketball and they gave that energy, effort, urgency, and intent and force every single night, they would get through and they would win a championship. There's no doubt in my mind this team would win a title if they played their best basketball against anybody that's left in this race. And I, I would have picked them, and I did pick them to get to the finals before we got to the playoffs. But it, uh, the lack of execution late in games as well has just bitten them in the ass going back to last year. They can't figure it out. I agree with you. You know, Tatum at times kind of waffles between I want to take this game over, but I want to be a teammate and find the open man. And it seems like he's a little indecisive at times on what he wants to do. That showed up in game four, catches the basketball with 10 seconds left, which was too late to begin with. Then he waits three seconds to make his move, which was way too late because there's this indecisiveness. There's this like lack of go, right? And and when you look at coaching, you know, Montgomery, I can't agree with you more. Just awful. He was awful. He was the drizzling shit in that series. Mm-hmm. You know, not playing Bergeron and Marshan together in game five, waiting too long to do that. Uh, even maybe playing Bergeron in game five when he came out this week and admitted that he pretty much asked Bergeron if, you know, if playing was the right thing to do. And he let Bergeron make that decision, which reminds me, never let the player make the decision because they're always going to say, yes, it's your responsibility Mm -hmm. to make that decision, Montgomery. It's not up to Bergeron. It's up to you. You're the head coach. And speaking of making decisions. The goaltending decision was an absolute joke. The fact that you played Allmark for the first six games when that guy was clearly not healthy, the fact you played him in game five when you were up three games to one at home was an absolute embarrassment. And then you throw Swayman out there, as you said, Greg, cold as ever in a game seven winner go home type situation is completely unfair to Swayman. And then to make it even worse, Montgomery, when he's asked about the decision for game seven, throws the goalie coach under the bus. Dude, you're the head coach, man. You're the guy. You make these decisions. You decide if Bergeron plays. You decide who's going to be in net that night. And it's just... Ugh. Yeah, I'm Nick, I'm not prepared for a, a sports world where Philly is beating Boston. I did not have that on my bingo card. I mean, from the Eagles going to the Super Bowl, um, you know, the Phillies now... Now this, the, the Sixers are trash. Like, what are we doing? Come on. Let's get it together, boys. And the Red Sox, by the way, jury's still out. I'm not buying into them just yet. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And uh, it's 
it's it's disappointing. You, you have two teams that have all the talent in the world. Um, I think Brad Stevens has done a terrific job putting this team together. They have more than enough depth and more than enough talent. Um, and honestly, before we move forward with the Patriots, like I'm now fascinated. If if the Celtics get eliminated tomorrow night, I couldn't care less because now I've turned into you know hater of the year. Like I'm so pissed at them. Like I couldn't even care less. It's like they lose tomorrow night. They deserve everything they get. And now I'm fascinated what they do this offseason. If they fail to make it to the finals, let alone win a championship, if they fail to make it to the finals this year, I think it's a massive failure. And I think you need significant change. And it's going to be a very, very interesting, compelling offseason for Brad Stevens because I don't think you trade Jalen Brown. I don't think you trade Jason Tatum because they're way too talented to do that unless they ask out. Al Horford just signed an extension and he's old. I don't know if anybody wants him. I think Marcus Smart's first on the list to be out of town and maybe Grant Williams and maybe some other moves you can make, but this is going to be a very telling off season. And as far as the coaching, one more point, everybody looks at this as Ime versus Joe Missoula. Number one, don't blame anything. No, don't blame anybody else, but Ime, please. I've seen some people on Twitter try to, Oh, Stevens and ownership. And look, that's Ime's fault. Okay. What Ime did, whatever it was, was bad enough to be sent out. That's on him, nobody else. Missoula was put in a very difficult position. I don't even blame Joe Missoula because he, he, I just don't think he's ready for this spot. What people are missing is you did not only switch Ime for Missoula, you also lost Hardy to Utah, and then you lost Damon Stoudemire to the college game. So when you look at this coaching staff, you lost three of your best coaches. Three of your best coaches, Ime, Hardy, and Stoudemire all out. Missoula's left. So I don't think they have the coaching staff right now. If they win, I just feel like it's going to be off of talent. And mm-hmm. you know, maybe Joe can make a tweak, but I just I don't think he's quite ready for, oh, I'm going to do this, you know, masterstroke move. And next round, by the way, if you get by Philly, which I'm not sold on at all, as I've said, if you get to the next round, you're most likely playing Miami. And if you think Doc Rivers is out coaching Joe Missoula, just wait for Eric Spolstra, who I think is the best coach in the NBA. And then we get the Patriots who, you know, on paper, they're fourth in the AFC East. That's what everybody's telling us. And uh, I certainly would have put a ton of money on them winning much more than uh, 10 games as of uh, the on paper look. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, All right, let's get to the Patriots. Let's get to the Patriots. Um, Let's get to Marcus Jones. I I know you wrote about this recently, Greg, about Marcus Jones switching to offense. Uh, you have a lot of ideas uh, as to why this this would make some sense. A lot of reasons, I should say, why this makes some sense. So just uh, your thoughts. You're making the switch. Are you making the switch, Marcus Jones, to offense, officially making it happen? Yeah, so a little better background. This came out of um, when I did my initial 53-man roster um, projection for the Patriots. Um, again, it's you know it's way too early. We haven't seen them on practice field. We're just – guessing and sort of projecting and so um just to catch people up and they can see it over at bsj they can see all my breakdown on this 
Uh, my last six out on the 53-man roster were James Robinson, the veteran running back. I think he's here basically just to – we'll see where Kevin Harris is. I think Kevin Harris will be ready to win that job, and they'll be like, we don't need James Robinson. He wasn't signed to much of a contract. Uh, Johnny Lumpkin is the UDFA tight end that they signed. I think he's going to show well. Good guy for the practice squad to bring along, but I just don't think he'll be 53-man roster ready. Uh, Kayshawn Butte, one of their six-round picks at receiver. Um, I have him cut for no other reason. Is just, you know, it's a numbers game, and I just don't think he's going to be ready um, for this stage. Again, another good guy to have on the practice squad. Uh, Ronnie Perkins, the 2021 third-round pick. You know, uh, with Keon White here, I think that, you know, the numbers dwindle a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I just – he he's had some hard luck. It's not his fault. Um, I, I just don't see it happening. Sean Wade, the cornerback with Christian Gonzalez here now. Other options. Um, he, he was terrible when he played last year. I don't think he's a bad player. He's great in practice. I don't know what the deal is. And then Joshua Bledsoe, you know, we'll see what happens at free safety. So that's – sort of some of my picks, but on Marcus Jones, here's my thinking. And trust me, I've heard from the Twitter people. Um, so, so, so this is my thinking. Okay. And, and I discounted this move before the off season. Okay. Because I looked at the numbers and as far as we knew, all right, Jonathan Jones comes back. Okay, good. If they run it back with what they had last year, you know, you have Jonathan Jones, you have Jack Jones, when Jack, before Jack Jones was suspended and hurt and all that stuff, he got the most reps out of the rookie cornerbacks. Marcus Jones was sprinkled in because of injuries. Um, so to me, it looked like they were going to run it back with basically, you know, you go Jonathan Jones, Jack Jones, Marcus Jones. Okay, give Marcus Jones a real – battle him out with Miles Bryant at slot, slot cornerback. I thought Marcus Jones was going to win. Um you know, so I didn't want to – he didn't need to be on offense other than a gadget play here and there. You know, but they draft Christian Gonzalez in the first round. That changes the math in, in my mind and how I know the Patriots like to, 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 to do things. So Christian Gonzalez, he's going to be – he's got to be a starter. He's 17th overall. He's got to come in very quickly, be a starter, which I anticipate him doing. Jonathan Jones – Okay, so, you know, he's probably the number two guy against two wide receiver sets, which you don't see very much of. But, you know, Christian Gonzalez is number one. Jonathan Jones is your, goes back to slot, where he's always been very good. He was a little bit out of his depth at number one cornerback last year. He goes back. He basically slots down a spot because Christian Gonzalez is here. And then Jack Jones is your next guy. So that leaves Marcus Jones, based on what we've seen on the field, as sort of the fourth, and again, Miles Bryant is here on a restricted free agent, free agent tender. That leaves Marcus Jones as sort of the dime back. Like, and that's if they even want to play with more cornerbacks. They usually play with more safeties, which they have a buttload of. So, to me, Christian Gonzalez changes the math to where Marcus Jones really, unless there's injuries, really shouldn't have much of a role at all on defense. So that's the defensive component. On offense, they haven't really done anything. They've just replaced Jacoby Myers with uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. They've replaced Jonu Smith with Mike Gusecki. Definite upgrade there. And, you know, yes, you're hoping for Tyquan Thornton to, to have a second-year step forward.
But in terms of a dangerous weapon, like we've talked about, they haven't added anything. And you could say, oh, well, they're six-round picks. Kayshawn Butte, Demario Davis. Okay, I have high hopes for Davis. I have Davis making my 53-man roster. But look at the Patriots' history for a second. Like, you can get all jazzed up all you want off the draft and off of highlights and stuff like that. A, when the hell does a rookie receiver skills guy other than running back, when do they ever come and do anything? I mean, Nikhil Harry was a first-round wide receiver, and he didn't do jack, you know, for a long time, especially his rookie year. He got on, he was hurt, he got on the field a little bit at the end of his rookie year. That's normally the way they do things. So, you know, maybe Butte pops, maybe Demario Davis pops, but do you really think they're going to have that big of a role? To me, their history says no. I do have hope that Demario Davis can do a lot of those things that Marcus Jones does. You and I have talked about it. But you can't bet on that. I mean, if that happens, it's a pleasant surprise. It changes the math. But as it stands right now, the Patriots do not have a short area of the field weapon. Like we talked about, Jackson Smith Enigma, Zay Flowers in the draft. They passed on all those impact guys. That's fine. That's their prerogative. But when you look at the roster, they have a bunch of boundary guys. They have a bunch of slot guys. They don't have the type of short area quick little get the ball in his hands he could turn it into a touchdown we saw that in glimpses with marcus jones i would love to get him on the field as sort of the third down running back to dictate matchups now you're talking about a guy that defenses have to take account for that they say when he's on the field we have to have a plan to me it's worthwhile at least looking at that this offseason and 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 possibly going forward when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. I just want to quickly mention that Greg certainly knows his name is Demario Douglas. I try to jump in there. What, what did I say? Call him Demario Davis. He, he, oh, sorry. <laughs> knows it's Demario Douglas. Um, but a, a couple of thoughts here. It, it, should it be on the radar? Yeah, sure. It, it should be on the radar. But first things first. I want to see if anybody else can step up in that role. I, I want Absolutely. to see if Pierre Strong can can show up. He has the speed. He has the shiftiness. Can he be that guy? I want to see if Ty Montgomery has any juice left. You know, he's pretty much just forgotten after last year because he was done after week one. Does he have anything left in the tank? I want to see if Tyquan Thornton can be utilized in different ways that Matt Patricia would not utilize him in. I'd be interested in that. I want to see Kendrick Bourne. Can he can he revive his career after a down season a year ago? He has some of that shiftiness. He can do some of those things. He's not the super gadget guy, but I do think he can do some of those things. What's he look like? And Demario Douglas, I want to give him a shot, certainly, mm-hmm. before, I, before I pulled the trigger on Marcus Jones being that guy. As far as Douglas's ability to make the roster and, and make a difference on offense, my pushback would be, well, with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running that offense, they took a rookie defensive back special teams guy 
and they were able to to utilize him at least a handful of times in ways that helped boost your offense. If Matt Patricia and Joe Judge can do that with a rookie defensive back, I'm not going to count out Bill O'Brien being able to do that with a rookie wide receiver who's actually played the position. So I want to see, you want to tell me about coaching? You want to tell me about coaching? That's coaching. Bill O'Brien's there, not just to make Tyquan Thornton better and to help Mac Jones and all of those things. Certainly those are top priorities, but he's also there to grab a guy like Demario Douglas and say, hmm, we can take that package from last year with Marcus Jones and we can get that out of Demario Douglas. If you can't, then you might revisit Jones. The other part about the Marcus Jones conversation that has me hesitant, Greg, I'm not the biggest believer in Jack Jones, and it's not because of the the on-the-field stuff. Mm -hmm. You are totally depending on Jack Jones with this scenario. If you pull the trigger and you say Marcus Jones is going to be our guy offensively, now you're relying on Jack Jones because the idea, and I don't disagree with your idea, you know, Jack Jones and Gonzalez on the outside as boundary guys And then you have Jonathan Jones slide back into what he's really, really good at in the slot. And you can match him up with some of the other, you know, some of the other quicker guys in the league at wide receiver who move around on the line. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all, but for that to work, Jack Jones has to be with the program. And I certainly hope he is, but we know there were red flags before the draft. And that's why he was drafted in the fourth round last year. And then we know that he was suspended at the end of last season. So is he with the program? Does Belichick and, you know, Belichick and Belichick and Mayo, the law firm, do they believe that they can, you know, that they can depend on Jack Jones and that he's all in and going to do the right things on and off the field? If so, then again, yes, you absolutely look at this because I would say what I would not do, Greg, and I, I would imagine you agree with this. What I would not do is play games. I wouldn't go back and forth. Like you make this decision. If Marcus Jones is going to be your gadget offensive guy, then unless you have injuries and you've got to change course in the middle of the year, I mean, we've seen Julian Edelman and Troy Brown and others play defensive back. So it's always a possibility where you might have to switch Jones back to defense if it gets desperate. But if you make this change, be fair to the young man and say, that's what your role is going to be and get the most out of that. I don't want the back and forth wishy-washy BS. When you make a decision, stand by it, live with it, and roll with it, and you know we'll see if it works out. But I, I'm not against the idea. I just want them to go through some of the other options first and see what they've got, and then I want to see Jack Jones get through a camp and, and through the preseason without any other things popping up, quote-unquote. All right, before we get to the uh, – yeah. hey, Hang on, Nick, just to follow up on that. Um Really valid points by you, and I agree with all of them. I thought I think the Jack Jones point was really good because I do think, you know, there's a lot that he needs to to earn. But the you know the problem is, and, and you know you're right. You know if Jack Jones fails, then Jonathan Jones stays outside, then Marcus Jones goes to the slot. Completely valid. And your stuff about the the other guys, I completely agree. And while you know I didn't like outright say it, you know I I like that's I agree with you know, trying all these different guys out at different spots. But, you know, here's why I think at the end of the day, I think that Marcus Jones ends up being the best option. It's just because, like, you know, Ty Montgomery, you know, we've seen his durability issues, and I think he's north of 30. You know, he's he's a good uh, he's a good weapon with multiple skills, that he could be a running back, he can be a receiver, he can do all these things. Pierre Strong. 
think he has a chance. Yeah, and he's got home run speed, and he played faster towards the end of last year. Tyquan Thornton, you know, I, I do think he can catch a little hitch and go, but uh, I, I do think that w- when I look at Marcus Jones compared to the other guys, uh, especially Marcus Jones compared to Tyquan Thornton, I think that Marcus Jones has a lot of um, – you know, jitter, jitterbugs type stuff where he can stop, start, and do that. That's not really Tyquan Thornton's game. It's more of a one cut and go. And yeah. I think that Marcus Jones, compared to the other guys, the other guys could be effective weapons. I think that Marcus Jones could be a special weapon. And I think that's what I'm aiming for. The Patriots need more special blue chip type talents on the field. I think he gives them that opportunity. But I think, you know, all your points are valid um, on him. And, and you definitely, but my plan would be with the OTAs coming up, so they basically get three practices in a row for about, I don't know, three or four weeks. So, you know, I would give him like, say, you know, a cluster of three practices where you give him, you know, maybe start him off at cornerback, but then the next cluster of practices, give him the whole thing, get enough on film that you can look at it and make an educated uh, judgment on w- what's going to work, what's going to be more effective. But you know, overall, I think I think all your I I agree with all your concerns and all your points. Uh, but I'm just I'm just looking to make this team a little bit more special, and I think he has that ability. I'm full of takes today, full of points, full of takes for you, Greg. And uh, here's here's another uh, here's another thing I would say. Follow me on Twitter at Nixie Radio if you like my takes at Nixie Radio. All right, so uh, today's BSJ member question of the day is uh, from Hamilton. That is his name. And uh, I felt like as I was reading this, I was reading the play Hamilton. It was pretty lengthy. There's a lot of <laughs> going on. Um, there wasn't any singy, songy, rappy stuff going on. Greg, I, I don't know if Greg can do that, but there, there's a lot to get through, Greg. So I hand it off to you, my friend. Okay. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll go through this point by point because I thought it was valid and I just wanted to address it sort of uh, real quickly. So Hamilton says, okay, I'm saying all this with love. I mean, I'm kind of confused by this post, Greg. This is, I think this was after my column after day one, basically like being like, uh, or at first two days, three defensive picks, yeah. and, you know, and no help for the offense, at least why you chose right now to go with this approach. I definitely agree with your comment on Sports Talk Radio. Indeed, you may be passionately familiar with some of the segments that work the same narrative you describe here. I'd rather get my information from guys who football acumen I trust, like Greg Bedard. Not the one who wrote this article, but the one who, okay, so (laughs) thanks for the backhanded compliment, said the Patriots either had to get a blue chip player at number one or trade down and listed Gonzalez at one of them. Okay. I don't have a problem with the Gonzalez pick. Not at all. You know, I look, there are concerns about him in terms of his compete and mental toughness. That's why he was available at 17. I'm not making any judgment on that. I like the Gonzalez pick. I did a redraft of the Patriots draft. I drafted uh, Gonzalez there. I listed both Dion, uh, Keon White and Marte Mapu as day two likes. Yes, this is true. However, you know, just because I like the players and I throw them in there doesn't mean I'm taking them day two. Maybe if they're day, if I do other things, then I'm drafting them. Like in my redraft, I did draft Mapu. Okay, I did not draft Keon White. I dra- I traded up in the second round to get a tight end in my redraft. Okay, so yes, I like them. That doesn't mean if the Patriots draft them, I love them as a player. 
praised both uh, his draft guy Field quite appropriately, by the way. And Kevin Field knocked it out of the park, by the way, um, uh, addressing the Patriots uh, players that they would pick, who also had all three of those picks listed as good fits and pegged them at least two of them to go earlier than they did. Absolutely true. But again, and this is an argument I've made, just because they're good fits doesn't mean the Patriots can should be picking them. Keon White might have been a good fit for the 2003 Patriots. Are they good for the? Is he good for the 2023 Patriots in terms of where the league is now? I say no. Praise Jer- Jer- Daniel Jeremiah in the chat last week as the best talent evaluator in the draft. It's the same guy who said Mapu is his favorite player in the entire draft. That's great. I like Mapu. I'm just doing other things. Again, that's the big thing. Bits last year about the Patriots not going chalk in the draft and not going for a speedy linebacker in the new mold, getting too trade happy, all of which changed this year. Nah, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that was a fair point to make. Um, You know, the speedy linebacker thing, I was definitely on. But, you know, Mapu, is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? You know, we don't know yet. Um, So basically... He's saying, he says, I mean, what on earth do you want? Again, just because I like certain players doesn't mean if the Patriots draft them means that they had a good draft. I'm just telling you, they fit what the Patriots do. They fit what the Patriots look for. That doesn't make them the right draft picks. And in fact, you know, I I like some of their picks. Like I said, some of them I redrafted. Just like last year, I I drafted Marcus Jones. I like that pick when I went through my redraft. But... The big thing is the Patriots should have done, and Nick, I think, agrees with me on this, and we talked about it last week. The Patriots had so much ammunition in the middle rounds. They should have gotten ballsy. All right, fine. You want you got Christian Gonzalez. That's great. They should have got – they had ammunition to go get, a, go get a tight end on the run in the second round. They didn't do it. They had two, not one, but two, two of the tackles that I drafted, I took chances on in my redraft. Dewan Jones was there. And Jalen Duncan was there, let alone Broderick Jones at 14. And the Patriots just let those guys go by. They didn't even draft them when they had a chance. So, yeah, I'm fine with – I drafted Gonzalez. I drafted Mapu. But I also went up and I got a tight end and I drafted two tackles. So, yeah, I'm going to be better critical of the Patriots draft going three defensive guys up top when that's supposed to be the best part of their team and where the offense needs help. Yeah. I'm going to have a problem with that, and I think that's completely fair. I don't think I'm being disingenuous or speaking out of both sides of my mouth. I think I am being very consistent on what I wanted to do, what I'm looking for, and I thought the Patriots fell a little bit short in this draft. Not totally, but just not something I would have done. I said my piece on the draft last week. Went back and forth with Greg. Check it out. Last week's podcast. Cha-ching! See if you like it. Uh, But I will just say as far as Hamilton – I think the the difference here is that Hamilton is almost looking at this draft in a vacuum, each pick in a vacuum, and Greg is looking at it kind of big picture and what else could have been done in a vacuum. I think Greg would have been fine with a, a number of the picks, including the mm-hmm. first three picks, but it's it's the context. It was what was available to you. What did you have to trade up? What could have you taken? You know, who could have you taken instead of who you took? All of those things. It's looking at the draft not in a vacuum. It's looking at the draft from 30,000 feet and trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. He's Greg. I'm Nick. This episode of the Greg Bedauer. The Greg Bedauer. 
This episode of the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast from the Cows brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at fanduel.com slash Boston and claim that $200 bonus. He's Greg. I'm Nick. We're back next week. We'll talk something Patriots and maybe the Celtics continuing. Who knows? Till then, be safe, be good, be healthy.